gentlemen of the jury. For the last 150 years, Darwinists have been saying that God is unnecessary to explain man's existence and that evolution replaces God. But evolution only tells you what happens once you have life. So where did that something that's alive come from? Well, Darwin never really addressed it. He assumed maybe some lightning hit a stagnant pool full of the right kind of chemicals. Bingo, a living something. But uh, it's just not that simple. You see, Darwin claimed that the ancestry of all living things came from that one single simple organism, which reproduced and was slowly modified over time into the complex life forms we view today, which is why, after contemplating his own theory, Darwin uttered his famous statement, natura non facit sotum, meaning nature does not jump. Well, as noted, author Lee Strobel pointed out that if you can picture the entire 3.8 billion years that scientists have say life has been around as one 24-hour day, in the space of just about 90 seconds, most major animal groups suddenly appear in the forms of which they currently hold, not slowly and steadily, as Darwin predicted, but in evolutionary terms, almost instantly. So, nature does not jump becomes nature makes a giant leap. Did a thetus explain this sudden outburst of new biological information? And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.20. In other words, creation happened because God said it should happen. And even what looks to our eyes to be a blind, unguided process could really be divinely controlled from start to finish. We're here to celebrate that God's greatness is beyond description. His power cannot be measured. His wisdom no one can fully understand. But his peace can be received. His love can be duplicated through us. And we can stand in awe of his power and know that his spirit is always with us. His word has never failed me. He's always guided me into the path of greatest blessing. He has heard my prayers and he's answered them with an abundance of grace that I do not deserve. When fear has entered my life, I've, I've prayed and I've asked God to help me. And he's replaced that fear with peace. There have been many times in my life that I didn't know what to do or where to go for help, but I found myself in God's presence, and then doors are open, and peace fills my life, and the joy of the Lord becomes my strength, and I have the strength to move forward. How great thou art. I declare that God is great and greatly to be praised. There is no one who compares to Jesus. His name stands above all names. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. When I think about God's goodness in my life, my soul is filled with joy. When I think how he has been with me and, and singing that song just replays in my life come to my mind. I just think about his goodness in me. I know I don't deserve it. I remember as a small child drowning in a hotel swimming pool and my older brother trying to save me, but he couldn't do it. And we were all alone until a man fully dressed and clothes came in, jumped in, took me out of the pool and set me on the side. 
I remember the visually seeing going to my parents in the room and telling them, they said, we've got to find this man. We looked everywhere. We couldn't find him. I remember as a little boy going to church and my church service, uh, church home was 40 minutes from my home. So all those from Park City and Saratoga Springs and Harriman, I'm with you. When God calls you to a place, to a group of people, you stay dedicated. So that particular Sunday as a kid, I got the stomach flu. So I couldn't go home. And we had night service then, and so we, I just remember sitting in a basement classroom with a garbage can. And I remember something just leading me upstairs, and I just remember going upstairs. And as soon as I walked into that auditorium, the pastor said, someone is here, and they need healing in their stomach. And I went forward, and I was healed. My God is great and greatly to be praised. He is deserving of all my praise. He saves, he heals, and he increases brain power. Believe it or not, I was not the smartest kid in grade school. I seriously remember my first math test in, in first grade. And the reason why I remember it is because it was filled with a bunch of red marks. And I remember walking into the hallway because it was a bathroom break, and I just remember standing in that hallway just feeling like a failure. Well, I was able to pass from grade to grade, but my report cards were not making it to the refrigerator door until, until the summer before eighth grade. I went to a youth camp. And while I was there, I received the Holy Spirit as an endowment of power. I received it. He came inside of me. And I received a power that I had not known before. And all of a sudden, schoolwork became easy. And for the first time in my life, my report card to God be the glory was filled with A's on each column. Some may try to convince me and say, well, what you received at the youth camp was just an emotional high. The man at that swimming pool, that was just coincidence. And oh, you were just lucky enough that your antibodies took over that, that bug inside of you within hours of getting it. Well, my heart can be deceived, so was that God working in my life or not? But then my mind kicks in. And as the song stated, when I think... When I use my brain to engage what is happening in my soul, my faith is strengthened because my mind is able to confirm that Jesus walked this earth over 2,000 years ago. How does my mind know that? Well, it's the facts. How do we know that there was a Roman Empire or a Roman ruler named Julius Caesar over 2,000 years ago? Our history books. And we have these history books because we have manuscripts. And manuscripts are simply just the handwritten account of specific information. Let me give you an example of how this works. Many of you know the Greek philosopher Plato. You studied him. You've, you've thought about his thoughts and you've maybe applied them to your life. Well, Plato, the writings of Plato, they only have nine, we only have nine manuscripts as a human race, we have just nine manuscripts of Plato. And those manuscripts that we have were written over 1,300 years from the original time that he spoke them. The New Testament, on the other hand, has 25,000 manuscripts. And some of those manuscripts were written only 50 years from the time that Jesus lived and walked on this earth. 
The life of Jesus cannot be refuted. No one can deny that Jesus walked this earth, and no one will try to argue that. Rather, they'll try to argue, well, do I need to believe in his words? Do I need to accept him into my life? And this is when we understand from Scripture. Let me share something with you because it's important that we understand what's taking place in John chapter 3, the famous verse 16. But let me read that plus some verses that follow it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus depicted exactly what was happening in life. There are people who are making choices based on their own desires. They can see the light of Jesus, but they refuse it and they reject God. But by erasing Jesus out of the equation, life is left with thousands of unanswered questions. The Bible declares that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And without God, we must now come up with our own answers. And these answers keep us in darkness, which many people prefer. But darkness only leads to devastation. Our sinful nature does not want to marvel at the beauty of our God's creation because if we marvel at it, that means that I am responsible to the creator. So man developed and promoted that there was no creator. We are here by chance only, so we are accountable to no one. Evolution sounds good to so many people because it removes Jesus from the discussion. Jesus becomes a nice guy who lived in the Middle East. Now I don't have to believe in John 3.16 and eternal life. Is that real? Is it? The scene from the God's Not Dead movie shows the main character, Josh, using his brain to defend his faith. Let's watch. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, for the last 150 years, Darwinists have been saying, that God is unnecessary to explain man's existence and that evolution replaces God. But evolution only tells you what happens once you have life. So where did that something that's alive come from? Well, Darwin never really addressed it. He assumed maybe some lightning hit a stagnant pool full of the right kind of chemicals. Bingo! A living something. But uh, it's just not that simple. You see, Darwin claimed that the ancestry of all living things came from that one single simple organism which reproduced and was slowly modified over time into the complex life forms we view today. Which is why, after contemplating his own theory, Darwin uttered his famous statement, Natura non facit saltum, meaning, nature does not jump. Was well, noted, author Lee Strobel pointed out, that if you can picture the entire 3.8 billion years that scientists have say life has been around as one 24-hour day, in the space of just about 90 seconds, most major animal groups suddenly appear in the forms in which they currently hold, not slowly and steadily, as Darwin predicted, but in evolutionary terms, almost instantly. So, 
nature does not jump becomes nature makes a giant leap. Thanatheists explain this sudden outburst of new biological information. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.20 In other words, creation happened because God said it should happen. And even what looks to our eyes to be a blind, unguided process could really be divinely controlled from start to finish. It's good to know that we can use our brain to lead us to the truth, the truth that Jesus, the only Son of God, declared on this earth and was decisively recorded for us to read. We do not have to accept man-made ideas, but we can accept the words of Jesus and begin to marvel at his glorious power. We can say, Lord, your word is truth. And when I read, when I read in the Bible that I could receive power from the Holy Spirit, and I read about Peter who at one time failed Christ, but then received the Holy Spirit into his life and in turn began to do things he could not do on his own. I prayed and I believed and I received the Holy Spirit. I thank God Almighty that at the age of 13, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So today I stand and declare God's truth to you, not on my own merit, not on my own ability, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's truth, it's alive in me. His truth is alive in you, and every day we are experiencing miracles. This morning, I want to marvel at the design of two miracles that take place on this earth every day. The first is the design of human life. God has given Tara and me the privilege of witnessing this process firsthand. Here is a pic of our daughter. Isn't she cute? I... <laughs> I wanted to reveal her name to you guys first. Here's, you guys ready? This is Edwina. I named her after Pastor Jim. His, his middle name is Edward. We thought Edward would be a problem, so we went with Edwina. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> they, they didn't get it. <laughs> no, we are still debating, I mean praying about her name, sorry. And she, she's just flexible, just like her mother. There's her, her foot over here, and that's her leg, and there's her cute little nose. I think she looks like a Christina, but maybe you can tell Tara that. <laughs> the idea of pregnancy and birth is a marvel that always brings amazement and humility. We have a clear understanding as humans that the development of life within the mother's womb is not about chance or purposeless activity. Did you know a baby's skin only while in the womb will produce a greasy substance called vernix that protects the baby? It's like a waterproof barrier and protects the baby's skin. And also only while in the womb, the baby produces soft, fuzzy hair called lanugo, and that keeps the baby warm while in the womb. I just stand in awe of God's design of human life. There is no detail left to chance. There is so much information about this beautiful process. For example, 
the reality that she will have many beautiful features like her mother. How does that happen? Is it a random process that she will resemble her mother? Will it just be luck that she has dark hair and dark eyes? The answer is no. Within that baby is a design. Biologists call it DNA. DNA are molecules within our body that store the information needed to manufacture and have every system function in our body. And this molecule contains chemical elements that produce a language. And biologists kind of broke it down into four letters, A, T, C, and G. Different sequences of these letters uh, are translated into the different building blocks of cells in our bodies. The more biologists decipher the DNA code, the more they recognize the ingenuity and the uh, complexity, which vastly exceeds that of any sophisticated computer software. As mentioned, the letters in DNA are arranged in very specific sequences to provide the needed information for us to construct the trillions of cells in our body. For nature to blindly produce enough information for just one cell, that would be equivalent to taking a can of Campbell's alphabet soup, put it into the pan, and begin to boil it, and, and all of a sudden recognizing that this sentence begins to form. I hope you feel better soon. Have a nice day. Such an arrangement could not be explained by the chemistry of the pasta or the physics of boiling water. It can only be explained by intelligence and to be more specific, the intelligence of God Almighty. In Psalm 139, verse 14, the psalmist declares, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Job 10, 8, your hands have shaped me and made me. Job 33, 4, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 22, 9, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Proverbs 20, 12, ears that hear and eyes that see. The Lord has made them both. And Ecclesiastes 3:11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You were made by God. You are his crowning creation. You are not a purposeless mass of chance. You were designed to know and to receive the love of God. You were given hands to serve him. You were given a voice to praise him. You were given feet to walk in awe of his great and mighty power. And most importantly, you were made in his image, which means we're not talking about a mouth and ears and eyes. No, that's not the image of God. The image of God is love and wisdom. The image of God is eternal. And Ecclesiastes says that he set eternity in your heart, which explains why people fear death. Death to us as humans appears to be an end. And so we do everything in our power to avoid death until you receive Jesus into your life. And you accept him into your heart and you begin to live in the light of his word and you reject darkness. Now you begin to understand to live is for Christ, but to die is gain because the resurrection power of Christ has gobbled up death. Therefore, all believers in Christ 
who believe in him and live for him will never experience the sting of death. It will never happen to you. Well, now we can declare that the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You and I can bear the mark of believers in Jesus. We cannot, we can love God and never fear death, but embrace the life of love and service that he has given to us. But it is possible this morning that you can be living in fear today. Reality is that the image of God's peace can diminish from your life. How does this happen? It happens because of our choices. And just like God, we have been given the, the ability of free will. We can make our own decisions. We can choose to accept God or to reject Him. In rejecting God, then we choose darkness over light and when that happens our life is now on a slippery slope without God in our life to govern our direction life becomes a selfish selfish pursuit of pleasure and what happens when we dive in this into this pursuit much pain and sorrow I receive letters I've received letters throughout my time here of ministry from people in jail and in prison. And I, I keep those letters because it reminds me of the ultimate destination of those who live for themselves. I just wanted to share just a few portions of those letters to you. Here's one of the letters states this. I started hanging out with my gang when I was a kid, drinking, smoking weed, stealing car stereos, stereos juvenile stuff. As I got older, my involvement got deeper. I started carrying guns fighting everywhere. I went and doing all kinds of hateful stuff. I've been locked up for the majority of my adult life. I missed my son's birth. I missed his first and second birthday. And now I will miss his fourth birthday. I spent my life dedicating all of my time and energy into being this hardcore gang member, ruthless, and to be a ruthless individual. Just a few sentences from another letter. Pastor said, please help me find God again. This worldly life seems so empty, and all I want is to desire sin. I just can't live like this anymore. I'm done. Please help me. One of my favorite verses I love to send and respond to these types of letters is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Beginning in verse 17, it says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and have hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that is, isn't what you have have you learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes with from him throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception instead let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes put on the new nature created to be like God 
truly righteous and holy. The Apostle Paul describes the design of salvation. And we should marvel at the power of God. We should marvel at this design. Now, the design of human life is something to, be, to marvel at. But the design of human life almost happens out of nothing. But the design of salvation, it's more than nothing. The design of salvation takes place and it is formed out of a pile of sin and turmoil. It reminds me of my pottery class. And I know that's one class God helped me to pass because I, have, I don't have an artistic bone within me. And I remember focusing on the teacher, trying to listen to everything that she was teaching us because I knew once that formation was placed in the oven, there was no turning back. My grade was sealed with the fire that you couldn't start over. And that's what happens when we turn our life over to God. We are bringing him our hardened form of sinful choices. And reality says that God should just move on. He should just forget you. You're just, you should just be thrown away. You, you're just good enough for trash. There is no way we can recycle your life. But that's, that's reality. But what God says, I will take you because I love you. And I will wash away your sins. And I will take your mistakes and your wrongdoings and I will make them as if they never happened. And God begins to use his power to transform our sinful nature into a, a godly nature that blesses all those around us with peace and love and hope and joy. I know some of you this morning have, have experienced that. But one of the aspects of salvation that causes me to marvel the most is when God takes what was meant to be evil, and he turns it for good. God has the power to take our choices, and he can turn them into the fuel for doing what is now right in his eyes. Alfred Murillo is a great example of this process. Many of you know Alfred. He's a fellow minister here in the Salt Lake Valley. Alfred and I have actually been privileged to go into public schools for the past 16 years. And I've heard Alfred's story. He has shared it, it seems like, a thousand times over the years. But I never get tired of hearing him talk. How once he was in gangs. And how he hated people so much that he would hurt them. He would hurt them and he would hurt people around him. He was hurting himself until an older gentleman in his neighborhood showed him a better way. And Alfred decided to choose this better way of life. And he did. He left that life of hurting people, and he began to help others. And as he's talking about his story, the students are capturing, and he's connecting with them, and they're understanding, and a light bulb goes on. So that at the end of the assembly, students come up to us and say, I want to make that decision now. The light bulb says, I don't have to go through that. I don't have to go through pain to get to the victory, but I can experience success now. And then I stand in awe of what God does that he takes Alfred's poor choices, it becomes motivation for people to do what is right. That's what can happen in your life. I know many of you have received God's forgiveness of your past sins. Now it is time to say, God, would you forgive me and help me to help others? Would you use the pain in my past to bring peace to someone today? Oh God, please transform my foolishness into wisdom for my family and friends. 
I know the devil wants to keep you in guilt and shame and people want to keep your old life hovering over your head, but let's refuse them all. Let's turn our life over to God. And as we do this, we can begin to marvel at how God will use us to bless others. We can begin to marvel at the wisdom that comes out of our mouth. We can begin to marvel at the power of God that is used through our life to help others avoid a life of destruction. God is here today and he wants to save you and forgive you of your sins. He's here to help you. You know, this past Thursday, you wouldn't know that, but this past Thursday, I, I uh, went to do a jail visit and I was going to an area of the jail I had never been before. And I walked into the area and on my side, there was lights on the other side I, where I knew the, the gentleman would be, it was dark. So I was just kind of pacing and walking and then the lights turned on and the gentleman that walked in, he recognized the shock on my face because he was a gentleman who had just started coming to Life Church. Not only was he coming on Sundays, he was coming on Wednesdays. And not only on Wednesdays, he was coming to our events. And I was just, I was in awe of what happened. And obviously he was there for one wrong decision that has changed his life forever. And as we began to talk, we realized that he had issues in his life that he had shared with no one until that moment him and I were talking through the glass. He began to weep. My heart began to weep because I knew that there was no going back and changing it. But I knew this message was on my mind and I knew that God would take his life and save him and forgive him and empower him to help others. And I share that with you for two reasons this morning, because I know in a crowd like this that there are people in here that walk in these doors and walk out, and you've never, ever truly dealt with the issues of your heart. I know God is touching you, and God is working in you. That's why you keep coming back, but you have to open up your mouth. You have to talk about things that have been done to you, that have, been, that have hurt you, how you have hurt others with a pastor, with a mature believer in Christ, so that God can bring that deep forgiveness, so that you will never, so that you will never have to ever face the pain that I saw on that man's face. I pray this morning that you're ready to receive salvation. Let's pray. Life Church is located in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we would love to hear from you. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.